Welcome to The Randy Report. I'm Randy Slavacek, your host. I'm also the writer and editor of TheRandyReport.com, where you can find me every single day on the internet reporting on the daily news cycle in terms of politics, pop culture, and entertainment news of interest to the LGBTQ community. In this week's headlines, Peter Tao Fatafua, who grabbed the world's attention when he made his shirtless, oiled-up entrance at the opening ceremonies of the 2016 Summer Olympics, is making his bid to become the first Winter Olympian from Tonga. U.S. Olympic figure skater Adam Rippon isn't having Vice President Pence. A giant in the world of HIV-AIDS passed away this week, and West Point Chapel celebrated its first same-sex wedding between active duty service members. All that and more in this episode of The Randy Report. Now, many of you will remember how the world momentarily stopped when hunky, handsome, coconut-oiled, shirtless Pita Tau Fatafua of Tonga made his entrance at the opening ceremony of the 2016 Summer Olympics carrying his country's flag. After two previous attempts to qualify, Pita made it to the Summer Olympics to compete in Taekwondo. Unfortunately, he was eliminated early in Rio. Now, I'm not aware that Peter is gay, but certainly the gay world really took notice of him thanks to his good looks, incredible body, and upbeat personality, which definitely made an impression on the entire world. He was featured at the time on NBC's The Today Show and in the game's closing ceremonies. Well, four months later, he announced to his growing social media that he wasn't waiting four years for the next Summer Olympics to compete again he decided to pick a winter sport and qualify for the 2018 Winter Olympic Games in Pyeongchang. He picked cross-country skiing. Now, living in Brisbane, Australia, with no snow nearby, presented an obvious challenge. That and the fact that he'd never picked up a pair of skis in his life. But Peter was a man on a mission. Over the course of a year, Peter would need to drop 30 pounds from his muscular taekwondo physique and learn to ski in tropical weather. Instead of driving long hours to the nearest mountain in the winter, he worked out on the beach with roller skis. According to the Wall Street Journal, which has chronicled much of his story, there's an Olympic rules loophole that didn't require him to ski on snow to qualify. After the Sochi Games, the International Ski Federation changed its rules to allow points from roller skiing events to count towards cross-country skiing. To just qualify for the 2018 Olympic Games, PETA needed five finishes to satisfy a formula designed to keep newbies like him out of the Olympics. In a truly Herculean effort, PETA achieved four qualifying finishes during one week of roller skiing in Colombia this winter. But PETA found himself one finish short, and there were no more roller skiing events left. He raised funds via GoFundMe campaign as Tongan culture frowns heavily on asking for support, and he headed with friends to Austria to train with a real coach in the snow. With only six weeks to the 2018 Winter Games, there was a lot to be learned. Basics, like letting a faster skier behind you pass by, and knowing the different kinds of wax for your skis depending on conditions like dry snow, wet snow, hard snow, soft snow, Pita only had one stick of snowboard wax, which he had purchased on eBay. In late December of 2017, 
Peter used the last of his money to compete in the final races of the season in Europe. But being new to the pace, altitude, and conditions of actual cross-country skiing, he fell short. Choosing a race in Armenia over Croatia didn't give him the results he so badly needed. Peter only had hard track skis, and the night before that event, a blanket of powder snow fell on the track. In a harrowing journey he shared on his Instagram, he decided to make a mad dash to that final Croatian race. With no flights nearby, Peter traveled six hours via taxi. After racing across five countries over 24 hours to Istanbul airport, he arrived at the gate 15 minutes before his flight was scheduled to depart. But Turkish Airlines had closed the gate and would not allow him on the plane. Truly heartbreaking. He posted a photo of his airline ticket in hand from the airport gate with the plane in the background. In truth, I read Peter's post six days ago and I marveled at his world-class determination. This is Olympic spirit. Sitting at my desk, I sat back and I applauded all this incredible effort. And then, this morning, my blogger buddy Larry at the Outfront sent me a link to the next straight out of the movie's chapter that had escaped me. Total props to Larry for following through. Apparently, a few days after missing his flight, Peter heard whispers of one more qualifying race near the Arctic Circle in northern Iceland. Over two days, he and his friends tried to reach the event even under the downpour of a massive snowstorm. Reaching the event, the storm continued. But Peter used the time to keep conditioning himself indoors. Now, I know you're waiting for me to say this, so here you go. Yesterday, Peter posted on his Instagram, quote, On the last day of my Olympic qualification, at the end of the world, I said a little prayer before my race, and then a miracle happened. Tonga is going to the Winter Olympics. Awesome. <laughs> I just think that's awesome. Now, technically, the only thing left is for Tonga to name him to the Olympic team, but considering there are no other Tongan skiers, I think he has this. He will be the first Tongan skier in Winter Olympics history. However, other countries have Olympic federations and support groups, but not Tonga. Peter will have to fund his own way to South Korea. I'm going to end this report by adding, if you are so inclined upon hearing this story, I urge you to donate anything you might feel appropriate to his GoFundMe campaign. The link will be in the show notes. If anyone has ever demonstrated Olympic can-do spirit, it's this guy. In a totally different kind of Winter Olympic news, earlier this week, Adam Rippon, who became the first openly gay Winter Olympian for the United States, expressed his disapproval that Vice President Mike Pence is leading the U.S. delegation to South Korea for the Winter Olympics. Speaking with USA Today, Rippon said, you mean Mike Pence? The same Mike Pence that funded gay conversion therapy? I'm not buying it. Rippon made it clear he had no interest in meeting the vice president, saying, If it were before my event, I would absolutely not go out of my way to meet somebody who I felt has gone out of their way to not only show that they aren't a friend of a gay person, but that they think they're sick. Rippon also said that Pence does not have a real concept of reality if he declares himself to be a devout Christian and stands by Donald Trump's policies. He said, quote, if he's okay with what's being said about people and Americans and foreigners and about different countries that are being called shitholes, I think he should really go to church. 
Ribbon said he might speak to Pence if he felt there was a way he could have an open conversation. A spokesperson for Pence slapped back at Rippon telling USA Today that Rippon's claims have no basis in fact. Well, that, however, is not true. Pence, as those in the world of LGBTQ activism are profoundly aware, is no friend to our community. In 2000, Pence said he was in favor of sending money allocated to care for people with HIV-AIDS to organizations that provide conversion therapy, so-called ex-gay therapy which, by the way, doesn't work. He refused to protect LGBT Hoosiers from discrimination during his time as governor. He signed anti-LGBTQ discrimination into law in Indiana, supported a ban on gay marriage, and still opposed gay soldiers even after Don't Ask, Don't Tell was repealed. In my opinion, Pence would do best to simply be quiet on LGBTQ issues if he's not going to be our ally. Health insurer Aetna has agreed to pay $17 million to settle claims that it breached the privacy of thousands of customers who take HIV medications. According to court documents, the massive insurance company sent a mailing in envelopes with large, clear display windows that revealed confidential HIV information to about 12,000 customers in at least 23 states. Aetna will pay at least $500 to those customers whose privacy was breached by the envelopes. Wedding bells rang last weekend as West Point played host to the Military Academy's first same-sex wedding for two active-duty officers. Captain Daniel Hall and Captain Vincent Francino were wed in Cadet Chapel in a ceremony officiated by a Unitarian Universalist minister. The couple, beaming in their own perfectly pressed blue uniforms, were celebrated by a saber arch salute as they departed the chapel. The two met at the academy in 2009, when Hall was a senior and Francino was a freshman, and Don't Ask, Don't Tell was still a year away from being repealed. Francino told the New York Times, quote, We've experienced everything from people feeling awkward around us to being called faggots while holding hands and walking down the street, stuff like that. But despite what we've been through, nothing was worse than having served under the Don't Ask, Don't Tell years. It wasn't until after Don't Ask, Don't Tell was repealed in September of 2011 that they were able to come out and go on a proper date. Francino says we couldn't tell the truth for fear of what would happen to us, so we put it in our minds that we were never going to say we were gay, we were never going to get made fun of, and we were certainly never going to get kicked out of the Army. The two, who are now both Apache helicopter pilots, learned about each other through mutual friends. Hall says even though they had a mutual attraction, they couldn't really do or say anything about it. Now, while they are the first active-duty couple to marry in the chapel at West Point, they aren't the first same-sex couple to do so. Sue Fulton and Penny Neeson became the first same-sex couple married in Cadet Chapel in 2012. And a year later, Larry and Daniel Lennox Choate became the first gay male couple to be married there, where they had both served as former cadets. Congratulations to the happy couple. I love weddings. From new lives beginning to others coming to an end, a giant in the world of HIV AIDS passed away this week. Calling her his greatest AIDS hero, activist Peter Staley shared on his Facebook the news that Dr. Matilda Krim, founder of AMFAR, had died at the age of 91. Staley called her, quote, a warrior against homophobia and AIDS-related stigma, dedicated defender of science and public health, 
and mother figure and mentor to countless activists who will leave a deep hole in the continued fight against AIDS, a fight she dedicated her life to. Journalist Andy Hum called her a tireless, brilliant, calm, steady voice for healing research, compassion, and justice. Millions owe her their lives. According to her bio on the AMFAR website, in April of 1983, Dr. Krim founded the AIDS Medical Foundation, merging in 1985 with another organization to become the American Foundation for AIDS Research, AMFAR, which soon became the leading national nonprofit organization devoted to mobilizing the public's generosity in support of trailblazing laboratory and clinical AIDS research, AIDS prevention, and the development of sound AIDS-related public policies. Dr. Krim was AMFAR's founding chair and served from 1990 to 2004 as the chairman of the board. She earned her PhD from the University of Geneva and was awarded 16 honorary doctorates. In August 2000, she was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the highest civilian honor in the United States. Rest in peace, Dr. Krim. Also this week, the first out gay comic to appear on The Tonight Show, Bob Smith, died at age 59 after a long battle with ALS. According to the Daily Beast, his agent called him in 2006 to ask if he had been drunk on stage after he'd slurred words at a human rights campaign event. Apparently, Smith didn't drink at all before performing. The slurring was because he had the Bulbar variant of ALS that first attacks the muscles of the tongue and throat. When he was diagnosed in 2007, Smith, ever the comic said, Lou Gehrig's disease? I don't even like baseball. As well as being the first out gay man to appear on The Tonight Show, he was the first to star in his own HBO comedy half-hour special. He also appeared on Politically Incorrect, The Late Late Show, and Entertainment Tonight. And his career included writing for the MTV Video Awards, Dennis Miller, Roseanne, and Mad TV. He also pinned contributions to Out Magazine and The Advocate. Godspeed to Bob Smith, who broke down so many barriers in the incredibly difficult world of stand-up comedy. And that brings me to the end of this episode of The Randy Report. If you enjoyed the podcast, make sure you hit the subscribe button on my page on iTunes. And then every time I upload a new episode, it'll be sent straight to you automatically. And also, I constantly see folks asking friends on social media for podcast recommendations, and I'd love it if you'd recommend The Randy Report for those people who'd like to catch up on LGBTQ news at their convenience. And remember, you can find me every single day on the internet at therandyreport.com, where I report on the daily news cycle regarding politics, pop culture, and entertainment news of interest to the LGBTQ community. Thanks for listening, folks. See you next time.